Good evening. Welcome to Wednesday evening chapel. Good evening. We are attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Let's say it again. We are attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Uh, like I said the other day, I'm looking forward to that being the case. We're in process. Dr. Madsen asked me to uh, remind you about the prayer emphasis that's going to take place starting Monday, October 1st. Of the 168 hours that uh, for that week, we still need about 25 hours worth of prayers. And I've got a copy of the, the list here. So if you, if you haven't signed up for one of those hours yet, um, make sure that you do so. I'll have it in the, well, just come see me. I haven't seen some of you for a long time. So uh, it'll give you a good reason to come and say hello. All right? So, so I've got it, and we'll take care of it afterwards. We need 25 folks to help pray for the requests that have come in from churches all, excuse me, churches all around the country. All right. Preacher of the evening is Professor Joe Warrington. Some of you know him as Pastor Joe. Uh, all of us know him as a, a dear brother in Christ and a wonderful preacher. We're, we're looking forward to hearing God talk to you through to us. Stand and let's read the scripture together and then we'll sing. Praise be to you, O Lord, Father of our from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight and we want to thank you for being with us this very moment. We pray, Lord, that you'd open our hearts to you, that you'd, we give you permission to work in us. Share with us, Lord, your truth tonight. Minister to our needs. If there is any discouragement among us, we pray for encouragement. We pray that you would lift, lift us up before you, not in pride, but in humble praise. And we give you thanks tonight. Amen. Amen. Praise God. I want to draw your attention tonight to the book of Ephesians, and chapter 1. And there are a few verses here I'd like to read tonight and ask you to keep your Bibles open to that passage. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. 
Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glory, of, of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age but also in that which is to come and he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church and we'll conclude with verse 23 which is his body, the church, the fullness of him who fills all and in all. This is Paul at prayer. In fact, the chapter 1 of Ephesians is divided into two parts. After the salutation, you go to verse 3 through verse 14 and Paul is blessing God. It's benediction. He's praising God for the riches of his blessings that we have. And then the second part of the chapter is verses 15 through the end, verse 23. And it is intercession. So there is a balance between the two. Benediction and intercession. Praise and prayer. We need them both. Amen. Uh, amen. amen. We need them both. If we specialize only in one to the neglect of the other, somehow we are not as balanced as we have to be. Well, some of us are not as balanced as we ought to be anyhow. <clears throat> but Paul, uh, and I ask the question from the text here tonight, why would Paul, why is he going to pray for them? And in our text tonight, he said he's heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and the love for the saints. It looks like they're doing pretty good. They love Jesus and they love one another. Uh, amen. And that's of God, isn't it? In fact, he said he thanks, he thanks God. He says, I do not cease. Verse, 20, uh, verse 16. I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. He's thanking God for their faith in the Lord Jesus and their love for the saints. And yet Paul wants them to go a little higher. And so he prays for them. And it is the content of that prayer I want to share with us tonight. 
uh, his petition takes us to three areas that we find Paul praying for the Ephesians, the readers. And the first part of this, this prayer, the first petition is that they would be enlightened. And that comes there in verses 17 and 18. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, so that you may know. You may know what is the hope of His calling. You may know God. I think at the heart of this prayer is, is wanting them to know God. They already know God. They love Jesus. They love the saints. And yet, he wants them to know God. Greek philosophers would say, know yourself. The word of God says, know God. Know God. And so the first petition is that they would know the hope. The eye, their eyes would be enlightened, the eyes of their heart, their inner life would be enlightened to know the hope of God's call upon their lives. Verse 18. What does that mean? It is a look back at the beginning of their encounter with Christ. The beginning. When God called them to salvation. In fact, it, it, it seems like we are the one who call upon God, but yet uh, indirectly it is God who has called us, convicted us, lured us to Himself. And we responded after His call. So we're responding to His call. And, and what does it mean? It's a look back at the beginning of meeting Christ at the cross. And uh, there's a hope of that calling. It is filled with, with good things for us. What did God call us for and, what, uh, and, and His call? Uh, what does it do? God's call, God calls us to something and for something. The New Testament explains to us and describes to us so well what God calls us for and, and uh, calls us to. Let me just share just a few of them with, with us from some of the writings of Paul and Peter. And uh, We are called to belong into the fellowship of Jesus Christ. Romans 1.6 We're called. This hope of our calling, first of all, is to belong to Him in fellowship with Him. He has called us to be saints. Uh, or called us with a holy calling, uh, the idea of saints. By the way, you do not have to die before you become a saint. Amen. <laughs> we are saints. It's a holy calling. Peter said in First uh, Peter chapter 1 and verse 15, As he who has called us is holy, so be ye holy. Yeah. We're called to a holy holiness called unto holy. We're called in the one body to enjoy the peace of Christ. 
and must live a life that is worthy of that calling to which we have been called. That means forbearing one another, loving one another. Ephesians 4 and verse 1 and 2, we're called to be in the body, to enjoy the peace and to live forbearing one another in love. We are called to suffering and folks do not like that one. But you know it is as we live our lives for Christ there will be opposition and hostility and so he, uh, Peter in 1st Peter 2 21 uh, says we're called to suffering to follow in the steps of Jesus. We're called. We're called to glory uh, because beyond suffering lies glory. <laughs> Philippians 3.14 Paul says, I press on to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I press on. Uh, we are called to glory. So Paul, in his first part of his prayer, uh, he prays that their hearts would be enlightened. They would have the knowledge of the full extent of this calling, this hope of their calling of which God has called them. But he further prays, further prays that, uh, that we will know the glory of the inheritance, of God's inheritance. If, if the first uh, part of his prayer is a look back to the, first, to the beginning of our encounter with Jesus, uh, this call, this knowledge of the glory is a call to the future. It's a call to the future of our inheritance. Uh, the Old Testament often spoke of God's inheritance, that we are God's portion, that uh, we're God's people and we are His inheritance. But in this particular passage, the inheritance, God's inheritance here, is not so much uh, the people of God belonging to God is His inheritance, but it is, it is heaven. It is the future. It is the glory. And so he prays in verse 18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Peter in 1st Peter 1 4 gives us uh, some idea of this inheritance. He says it is imperishable. He said it is undefiled. It is, he said it is unfading. And I thought about those three words to describe the glorious inheritance of the saints that we have. It is, un, it is imperishable. It is not ravaged by time. Uh, Peter, a Jew from Palestine, must have read about or seen or known the ravaging effects of powers that overran Israel over the years and ravaged and pillaged and seized, carried into captivity and all that had happened to them over the years. So they were used, they knew what it is to be ransacked, ravaged. 
But then he speaks of this inheritance as that is in, imperishable. He probably knew of also of the pagans that would come in Jerusalem and defile their temple and, and uh, set up shrines for false gods. And so the place was polluted over in this sordid history. But this inheritance is undefiled. It's unfading and uh, whether you're planting flowers in the dry Mediterranean climate or here around these parts, it will blossom for a while but sooner or later it will fade away. But not the glorious inheritance. And so Paul wants them to live in anticipation of the glorious inheritance that we have. And our hearts ought to be enlightened to know that ignorance is no bliss. And so he prays. Uh, in Revelation, John the Beloved writes in Revelation 22, the closing chapter of the, the, this apocalypse. He, he writes there that, And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of, and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads, and there shall be no more night there. They need no lamp, no light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. A picture of heaven. You and I can only use our imagination to be, figure out what heaven is like. I want you to know it's like nothing we've seen before. So Paul prays that the future that awaits us will give us impetus, motivation to live for him. But he spends more time on this last part of his prayer, the last petition. He prays that they would know the greatness of the power of God. Verse 19 the greatness of it. So if the hope of his calling was looking back to their first encounter with Jesus and, and, and the inheritance that awaits is in the future, well this greatness is in the interim. It is between meeting him and seeing him. And, and, and we need the power because it is that power of God that will sustain us. And help us to walk worthy of the calling. Help us to live in fellowship with Him. Help us to be forbearing, tolerant, loving, caring for one another. Living holy. It is that power that will keep us encouraged to live for, for Him for the future. There are three parts, three things that he cites in these closing verses about the power. He demonstrates that power, God, 
as demonstrated in three ways. First, in verse 20, that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. I hope you see that there. Which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Not only that did he raise him from the dead, but he sealed him and he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. So he's enthroned. So he's resurrected and enthroned. Resurrected in the sense that he has victory over death. Enthroned over all principalities and powers, which is what the verse continues to say. Verse 21, far above all principalities and powers and might and dominion and every name that is named. Enthroned and at the right hand of God with his enemies as his footstool. Psalm 110 verse 1. Resurrected and enthroned. Resurrected over the power of death itself. Enthroned over evil. Power over evil. One is mortality. The other is evil. Resurrection gives us victory over mortality. Something we have no control over by the way. My first experience with death was at the age of 10. I remember the death of my grandfather. It was probably the first person I'd ever seen die or knew, knew, knew died. And uh, my concept of death was probably more pagan than anything else. And probably most of the people around the village uh, they celebrated, had the wake, and there was a lot of alcohol. I remember that night, and singing. It was a frightening thing for me, and I, I longed. You know, you're talking of some forty some years gone by since that first impression of death. And uh, as a pastor, I have, have been around the experience of death and dying. And there is something difficult about it. In fact, uh, when Jesus in John 11 was brought, came back to attend to Lazarus and the sisters had sent for him. He was agitated about it. His spirit boiled within him, the text says. He wept and uh, he was troubled in his spirit and then he told them to he called Lazarus forth. He was the only one who could do something about death. And it is that power that Paul prays the power of resurrection, the power of enthronement, enthronement that God would, would defy gravity, raise him up, sit him above all his enemies, of every principality and power, 
every evil force, every demonic force. And it is that power that is available to us. And that's why Paul says that your hearts would be enlightened, opened, so that you will not only know the hope of your calling and, and that you will understand the inheritance that you have in Christ, but that you will know the power of God through resurrection and enthronement. And it is that power, he says thirdly, that is available to the church because he is the head of the church. It is that fullness that he gives to us at our disposal. And so the glory of the church is the glory of a resurrected enthroned Christ that is at the disposal of the church that brings fullness. And we see that there in the text. He said he has put, verse 22, put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body the fullness of him who fills all and in all. God, uh, Jesus is the fullness of God. He's the visible image of the invisible God. In fact, God is like Jesus. And it is, it is he now who is given to the church to allow the church to walk according to his calling. To allow the church to live in the full blessing of that power. And what happens to Jesus happens to us. He is resurrected, so we are resurrected, so are we. He is seated in the heavenly places, so we are seated in the heavenly realms with him as well. Amen. I hope that touches your soul tonight. And if you're discouraged, may you be encouraged. Hallelujah. Tonight. God's power is available to us tonight. It is this power that will help us walk worthy of our calling. This will transform us from more, transform us more and more into the likeness of His Son. The same resurrection power is at work in your life and in my life tonight. The enthronement of Jesus is also our enthronement. We are seated with Him in heavenly places. And whatever happens to Him happens to us. He is the head of the church with all the fullness of God at our disposal tonight. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Jesus, we just want to be with you. Open our hearts, our minds, all of our faculties, so we can take in that which you've promised, that which Paul prayed for, it is still relevant and alive for us today. So tonight we ask you, would you come? Would you take our weaknesses and make us strong? You have might, you have strength, 
and you have power. Words Paul used in this text to emphasize the greatness of your power. So help us, Lord. Today, the days ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus, the good fellowship and strength of the Spirit, now go with us, now and forever. Amen. 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 Amen.